Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We're going to start there today. We're continuing our series called The Life of Christ. In these last few weeks, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're going to talk about moths, vermin, and thieves. How about that? Not specifically, but uh, we're going to uh, get at what Jesus was talking about. We've been talking about his parables, miracles, teachings, and... Uh, the way that he's been leading those who are following him and how, what he wants to speak into our lives. And I believe that today is uh, another one of those opportunities for our lives to be changed. Um, you know, this past week, um, <clears throat> we did a little bit of traveling. We weren't out of town for a long time, but uh, many of you know we have a high school junior, which in... Uh, uh, all reality, it means that you are on the search for where they're going to spend the next four years of their life. Well, we spent um, a little bit of time down in San Antonio. There's a university there. And then uh, Monday, Tuesday, we visited, and no cheering or, or anything if you're one or the other, but we visited Oklahoma State, and then we went over to Arkansas and, and just doing some tours, just uh, checking and looking around. And I know some of you are, are um, you know, uh, certain colors and certain uh, hand. You know, notice that universities have gang signs now. You know this, and you know, and that. You know, whatever you want to do, this. Uh, I, I, we'll get to that later. But you know what? Um, you go around campus, and you notice that there are names on pretty much every building. Names on buildings, and uh, um, you know, people have given great, great amounts of money to this, that. But one thing I did notice that there wasn't one building that we ever went into with a name on it where the person who it was named after was standing at the door saying, "Welcome to my building." Not one, not one. Now, primarily because most of them are dead, but not one person was standing at the front door saying, "Welcome to my building." It just it didn't happen. It wasn't the case. Um, the people who had wealth or have wealth, they, they weren't there to greet us at the door. The wealthiest people who ever lived, every single one of them had to surrender their wealth when they died. You go back to the book of Ecclesiastes, you don't need to turn there, but the wealthiest person who ever lived was Solomon. The most successful person, the wisest person who ever lived, and yet he came to this conclusion that I came into this world buck naked and I'm going to leave buck naked. I'm not going to be able to take anything with me. I have this wheelbarrow full of whatever it is and I have to surrender it. Every single person comes to this world with nothing and they'll leave with nothing. Yet we all chase the same thing, don't we? We chase the acquisition and the acquiring of wealth and cars and homes and valuables, and we're all looking for ways to protect those valuables. You think of uh, the security industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. Insurance is a multi-billion dollar industry looking for ways for us to keep what we have secure and to maintain it. You think of alarms and safes and surveillance equipment and insurance, all these things that we do. Well, here Jesus has some investment suggestions and some, some investment advice for each and every one of us today. If you're looking for the answers 
to your investment dilemma. Here it is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Follow along. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up or invest for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He goes into a section after this where he talks about that your eyes are this window into your heart. And what you fixate on and those things that you, you chase after, those things that you desire, really taint and, and um, affect what goes on in your heart. These things will require your attention, your dedication, and your allegiance. Verse 24, he goes on, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and and be enslaved to money. And today I believe the Lord wants to speak to us about a couple of things. The first one is about money and possessions and giving and generosity. I believe the second one is about having spiritual eyes and surrendered hearts. Spiritual eyes and surrendered hearts. Um, How many of you ever been camping? Been camping, uh, like, and I don't mean RVing, that's not camping, that's like hotel on wheels. Okay, I mean like tent camping or sleeping out under the stars. Well, uh, when we were on the west coast uh, of Canada, we would go camping and tenting a lot. We'd take, when I was a youth pastor, I'd take youth groups out and that. Well, I tell you, um, we didn't really have to worry about, although we did, we didn't have to worry about the bears and the, the cougars and the wolves so much. What we really had to worry about were the, 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 the chipmunks and the, the raccoons and those things because you'd go to bed at night, you'd wake up in the morning, your, your camp was ransacked, all of your goodies, all of your food was you know, torn apart, shredded, and, and you had a little bit of food in the, you know, down that trail and a little bit of food down that trail because the chipmunks and the squirrels and the, the raccoons would get in. And we would spend the majority of our time camping trying to protect our food from these vermin. We, would, that was the, we were so obsessed with that, so much so that you almost couldn't enjoy the, the scenery, enjoy the surroundings. Many of you feel this way about uh, your groceries that you bring home from the store. And, you know, uh, many of you have been on a health kick with salads. You've you've ever, you know, come to the conclusion of how difficult it is to keep fresh uh, lettuce in your refrigerator? You know, it's like you, you pull it out two days later and it's all moldy. And it's like, oh my goodness. All these things that you've acquired, you're trying to protect. Well, Matthew 6, Jesus continues. He says, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And he goes on, there's this whole section of of God providing for our needs. God is a generous God. He's a father who loves to give good gifts to his children, and God will provide. He's a providing God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. We'll jump down to verse 31 of Matthew 6. 
Remember, this is still, this is uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching these people around him. He says, why do you have such little faith? He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, get this, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. And you just go, wow. Your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need. And not only that, he is a generous God. He's a God who loves to give good gifts. And then Jesus has a solution. Look at verse 33. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Some versions say, uh, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will give you everything you need. Is this another one of those areas, almost like Ken was talking about, where we go, yes, isn't this awesome, but how does this affect me in my everyday life? That must just be for those special people, right? No. This is something for each and every one of us. Do we really believe that as we seek his kingdom and as we seek after him and and the, the windows of our hearts, our eyes are focused on him, that he's truly going to meet our needs or don't we? Do we truly believe that? You see, living convinced that physical commodities have real value require endless management, concern, and oversight. Let me say that again. Living convinced of physical commodities. I think we have a screen up there. Living convinced of physical commodities lead to endless management, concern, and oversight. But living convinced that spiritual commodities have value leads to peace, freedom, assurance, and contentment. Can we pick up on that? So many of us, even as Christ followers, we live our lives convinced that the physical commodities that we are acquiring have real value. And yet, what does Scripture say those things lead to? It leads to endless management, concern, and oversight. Now, do we say, well, we just don't do that? We don't know. No, we have to. The world we live in, we will have those commodities, but it's what value we place on those things. Are those the things that have real value in our lives or are the spiritual commodities the things that have the real value in our lives? And if so, those things that bring peace and freedom and assurance and contentment. So it comes down to a decision, I believe. Where are we going to land? Where are we going to live? Where are you going to land? Where are you going to live? Are you going to live a life uh, full of fear and worry? Are you going to live a life of faith? That's really the question that it comes down to. Are you going to live a life where the physical commodities around have real value, or are you going to live a life where the spiritual commodities have real value? It's a choice that each and every one gets to make. Do we live consumed by fear, or do we live consumed by faith? And are we led by the Spirit? You see, when I live in fear, when I'm obsessed with those physical commodities, when I'm obsessed with my house and my car and my possessions and, and those things that have physical value, when I'm uh, convinced that, that uh, my retirement is the most important thing in my life, that spills over into other areas of my life. And, and what we talked about even these last two weeks about fear driving us. 
We start worrying about our family. We start worrying about getting in the car and going down the street. Uh, what could happen to us? We fear um, the safety of our, our family. We fear about our health. We fear about, about whether we'll have money to make ends meet at the end of the day. And those things begin to consume us. Those things begin to consume me. And yet when I live in faith, and those things of eternal significance have value to me, Things like my house and my car and my possessions and my wealth or lack thereof takes on a completely different meaning. And that spills over into other areas of my life as well. When my hope and my security, my assurance and my peace is found in God and in Him alone, then I know that the safety of my family and my own physical well-being is in His hands, my comfort and my health. And there's this overarching resolve and peace and assurance and comfort. I was talking with somebody this week just about, about the, how we can worry about each and every, every day of our lives. And we were talking about uh, just even safety around the church and, and, and uh, you know, the, the fear that we all have of... Uh, of uh, the active gunmen and things like that. And I said, you know what? Yes, we put security in, in, in place around the church and that, but I, it, I can stand up here every single Sunday morning knowing that my life is not going to end one minute sooner or one minute later than God Himself has ordained. Now, does that mean we don't do, make safety precautions and doesn't mean we drive down the, uh, the road at 300 miles an hour without a seat belt and no it doesn't mean we do things like that but at the same time we don't live in fear wondering the what ifs when we know that God himself is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith and he's the one who gives life to us and and secures our life and steps out our lives for us you see we don't just live in a tangible physical world we live in a spiritual world we're spiritual beings and he is the author of our lives so do we live in faith or do we live in fear well turn over to Romans 8 Paul has some wonderful advice. You see, I believe what Paul is saying is to us is this. You can do this. You can do this. This isn't just a hope. This isn't just a pipe dream. This is something that you can incorporate into your life. And here in Romans 8, he wants to show us how. Starting in verse 5 of Romans 8, he says this. This is uh, Paul, a Pharisee, one who just loved rules and regulations. He loved putting life in a box and managing it himself. But at this point, he turns it over and surrenders it to God. And he says this, those who are dominated by or live according to the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Leave it up there for a second. You see the difference? You're thinking about something, but you can think about one thing or the other. You can think about things that are of God or things that are not of God. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature or what uh, Paul also calls the flesh think about certain things. And those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about certain things. Let's continue on. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You see that word letting? Allowing, permitting, giving authority to. So what are you going to do? Are you going to allow your mind to be controlled 
one way or are you going to allow your mind to be controlled the other way? Jump down to verse 9. He says, but you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And last time I checked, those who have surrendered their life to Christ, invited the work of Christ into their lives, surrendered to His Holy Spirit, have the Holy Spirit living within each and every one of us, and we are not controlled by our sinful nature anymore. We are controlled by the Spirit of God. This is what takes place. If you're a Christ follower, as a child of God, this is who you are. The Holy Spirit lives within you. So, pastor, doesn't this just happen automatically? Doesn't this, isn't this, you know, why do we even have to talk about it? Why do we have to think about it? Here's the answer to that question, is we live in a fallen and sinful world. And the enemy is still alive and well. And there's a struggle and a war that we'll continue to fight until Christ comes again, and we must choose. Let me give you a few examples. One's in Matthew 16. You don't need to turn there, but um, you remember the time when Jesus turned to his disciples and, and he said, you know what, I'm leaving here and uh, I will be crucified and I will give my life for you, and the disciples kind of freaked out. That's kind of an understatement, but they, they freaked out. One disciple in particular, Peter, um, you know, really was digging his heels in. He's like, no, this is not going to happen. And what did Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. This is one of Jesus' own disciples that, that Jesus himself had to correct and say, Peter, you're allowing your mind to be controlled by your sinful nature rather than the Spirit of God. Get thee behind me, Satan. Fast forward into the book of Acts. There's a, a story of Ananias and Sapphira who are a little worried about their possessions. And as the, the community of faith is being generous and they're giving and they're, and they're sharing their wealth and that, they were a little bit more on the worried side when it came to sharing their commodities and sharing their wealth. And it says that they went and they sold a piece of property and they kept a little bit of it back for themselves and yet presented the remainder to the apostles as if it was the whole lump sum. And Peter addresses Ananias and Sapphira, and he says, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Another example of where the flesh or the human nature over, overrode the Spirit of God and the peace and the contentment. The worry, the fear, and the management took precedent over the, the peace and the assurance and the contentment that God had. They were controlled by fear. And you see, we need to surrender control and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and rely on God instead of our possessions and our own protection, our own security, our own uh, 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 401k retirement fund, our savings account. Remember, the whole, this whole section is talking about our possessions, our assets, our money, those things that we have that, that we place a high priority on. And yet when we rely on God, the results are peace, 
and assurance and generosity. We hold things of this world loosely because we have a different perspective on things. You know, Dan and I have been married for 27 years, and back when we were first married, we, we did all we could to hang out with people who'd been married for quite some time just to glean from their wisdom and glean and just how to do life and how to, how to make ends meet. And, and back then, we lived in Vancouver, Canada, which at the time, it still is, but a very, very, very expensive place to live. Uh, you know, gas, $5 a gallon, and, and taxes through the roof, and housing, just astronomical housing prices, and, and, and the income was not any greater than it is in any other place. And so we were even having trouble making ends meet. And, and so trying to do life and, and live life as, as, as a, a godly couple, and we wanted to glean as much as we could. So we'd take couples out for coffee and we'd meet with them for dessert and that. And I remember, you know, we'd get out with some couples and boy, it was all about uh, the car, the newest car they bought or the boat they had or their house or, or their investments or that. And, and they'd try to give us advice on how to do things and that. We'd just kind of leave and we just felt more like our hearts and our guts were in a knot. And then we get together with some other couples and it was all about God's goodness and His faithfulness and, and you know, just how awesome God was and, and, and what God was doing and how they were listening to the Holy Spirit and that. We'd leave those, those meetings and we just felt filled up. And there was a marked difference. I remember one day we were walking out of uh, this meeting. We were out, walking out of this restaurant. I turned to Dan and I said, did you notice something? You notice how different that conversation was, how, how focused around the Lord it was and, and His peace and how He's the provider and how, how that couple was relying fully on Him. I tell you, it was, it was a marked difference. And it, it, the longer we've lived and the longer we've been married, it just makes more and more and more sense, particularly in the light of Scripture, of those who are controlled by the, the human nature versus those who are controlled by the Spirit of God. And you can tell it a mile away. Those who are frantically chasing after the wind, like, like Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Those who are just trying to protect what they have and they're just frantic and almost worried and fearful of what's going on or those who are at, at complete peace no matter how little or how much they have. There's a marked difference and what Jesus is saying here is, I want you to have a perspective, a kingdom perspective on these things. That my Father in heaven is a God who loves you. My Father in heaven is a God who will meet your needs. You are His children. He loves you and He cares for you and He will do this. So how do we get there from here? How do we do this? I believe Paul has some more answers in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn over there, verse 16 of, of Galatians chapter 5, and we're going, to, we're going to land the plane here. Paul says this, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what this, your sinful nature craves. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Those two forces, I should say, these two forces, sorry, are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. I want you to write this down. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Make that a prayer of yours. Holy Spirit, guide my life today. Guide my decisions. I pray my decisions, whether it be investments, whether it be saving, whether it be spending, whether it be giving generously, let the Holy Spirit guide my life. Jump down to verse 24. He continues, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, we're living by the Spirit as Christ followers, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Another version says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I want you to write that down. Follow the Holy Spirit's leading. So allow the Spirit of God to guide you, and then you follow His lead. You ask Him, and you respond. He'll do it. Guaranteed. I promise you. You know, mentioned camping and hiking out on the West Coast. There was this one hike we would do. It was, uh, it was called Black Tusk. And it's this mountain that uh, at one time was an active volcano. It's extinct. And, and uh, the center of the volcano is still there, but the sides have, have crumbled away and they've eroded away. So there's this basically a black uh, peak. And you can actually climb to the very top of it. On one side, it goes up gradually. On the other side, there's about a 2,000-foot cliff. Um, to this day, I wonder why we took junior hires up there, because it was really quite dangerous. But we didn't lose any. Uh, we came close once, and I want to tell you about Edwin. A number of us had been up there before, and we knew the way, we knew the route, and there's actually a little, they call it a chimney, and how you get up to the top of this peak. But if you go past the chimney, you get onto this other side of this, almost like a cliff. Well, Edwin was uh, an adventurous middle schooler, and uh, he decided to get away from us, and he felt like he knew a little better than we did. And we got up to the very top and we start un unfolding our, our picnic lunch and somebody says, hey, where's Edwin? And we're like, well, if he was in front of us, he should have been up to the top already. So we start to look for Edwin and it's not long before we hear, hey, where are y'all? Help! You know this. And we kind of look around and Edwin is kind of stuck to this rock. He's like, He's hugging this rock, and there's about a 200-foot cliff just a few feet away from him. 
It's a good example of getting ahead of a guide. Now, we got him back. I'll let you know that Edwin's alive, and uh, he's not going to do that again. But it was a good example of Edwin needing to follow a guide and follow our lead because we'd been there before and we knew what it was like. And when I think of Paul's encouragement to the church and Paul's encouragement to us, He's encouraging us to allow God to guide us, allow His Holy Spirit to guide us, and then encouraging us to follow. The word that Paul uses there in keeping in step with the Spirit is almost as if um, it's soldiers marching and keeping in, in step with their commander. And my prayer is that I would do that. My prayer is that we as a congregation would do that. Particularly... Jesus is talking about money and finances and our, our possessions and those things that we acquire. But it, it relates into so many other areas of our lives as well. And I believe there are three things that uh, I want us to take away today. The first one is this. I believe we need to surrender. We, we need to first of all surrender our lives to Christ. We need to surrender to His lead. And, and secondly, we need to welcome the Holy Spirit to come in and to impact and affect our lives in a greater way. And then finally, commit ourselves to follow Him. And so can we do that? I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm inviting the worship team to join me up here.